This is the Business Building Blocks Podcast. My name is Wazir. And my name is John Muhammad. And we're your hosts. Thank you for listening. How you doing today? I'm great. Fantastic. Okay, today is a special episode. We want to get right into it. We actually have a guest with us right now, Brother Warren Muhammad. Or what is your, could you give your full title and your business? Warren Fitzgerald uh-huh. Muhammad. Yes, sir. And I am an attorney and uh, businessman, entrepreneur. That's right. Okay. He's actually here today to promote a book. We're going to get into that in a little bit. But at the since we're beginning the show, for the people who are listening for the first time, can you tell them what the show is? Uh, the Business Building Blocks show is a business talk show. It's a show designed for the entrepreneur and or the business owner that wants to expand their business. Right. And we particularly focused in the black community. So, um, because we believe that the black community has the greatest need for economic development and transformation. So that's our focus, and uh, we're excited about it. We're all about building businesses, and we're all about getting new customers and going forward and building your clientele. On first contact, you only have one time to make a first impression. That's true. What is a professional image that a business should have? Uh, I think that we should concentrate on establishing a professional image. And that that goes from uh, our presentation. Right. You know, in terms of our documents, our paperwork, uh, our correspondence, our communication, whether it be documented or maybe it be verbal. Right. Also, our just our our appearance. You know, we want to have a professional appearance. Whatever the industry is, we want to um, dress in that in that fashion that reflects that industry. Okay, that's some of the things we, we uh, should be concerned about. Uh, some of the other things that we may be concerned about is our professional image in terms of signage, uh, our business cards, our advertising. You see, everything is professional. Right. Um, And uh, it should be consistent with that industry standard. Okay. Um, We talk about industries. In your industry, Brother Warren, is there a certain look or image that you have to portray as an attorney? uh, Absolutely, brother. Absolutely. And it's something that uh, my law partner and I... uh, we have a business meeting every Friday afternoon. It's something we just talked about this past Friday was constantly working to improve and enhance our image to the public in terms of our brand as a law firm and what do we want to portray in the, in the, uh, the type of image that we want to have. So we are always uh, very conscious of, of uh, our professional image. <clears throat> and I tend to, a lot of times when I want to just come into the office and get some work done, I may want to put on some some blue jeans and sneakers and throw on an old T-shirt. And right. My partner said, no, sir. No, sir. <laughs> <laughs> no. And, mm. and I think the reason is because we want to project confidence. Right. We, we want our clients, our customers, our potential customers to have a, a degree of confidence in us. So if you're out of uniform, then are you really a doctor? You know, right. if you had a doctor <laughs> and he had a blue jean shirt with stains on it, 
You run I mean, up out of there. Blue jeans, uh, blue jeans on and a t-shirt, right? With stains on it. And you might not have confidence in that. <laughs> in that doctor. So uh, uniform identification, name tags. You know, we had a guest on last week, and the guest had a, a rental business, rental equipment, a party rental, and everybody in her crew wears T-shirts with that company's name and logo on it. You know, when you show up to, to do a job, mm -hmm. they want to know you represent a, a company. You're not just a band of people off the street. Right. And, and that's what we talk about, about professional image. Mm -hmm. And these are some of the tools that will make you successful in business. Right. And uh, that's some of the things we want to look at. May I add something? Sure. Absolutely. Uh, you also have to always keep in mind the expectations of your potential clients. That's true. Because people have certain expectations, especially our people. Right. When you say lawyer or doctor, they have a certain expectation of what you should look like That's and right. how you could conduct yourself. I'll never forget, I was doing a lot of entertainment law, you know, during a period of time. And I there was a lawyer that I dealt with on several cases. Okay. And he represented some elite uh, rappers and artists in New York. And I traveled to New York one time and I decided to pay him a visit. Okay. And I had these expectations. I mean, he was a a well-placed, you know, powerful attorney. Right. Went to his office. It was a little cubbyhole. He was a Jewish guy. Oh, man. And he had on some jeans and old woolen shirt <laughs> and some long hair, you know. And that's the way he, he moved, yeah. you know. But I realized then the expectations of him were different from the expectations of me. Right. And I couldn't do what he did. That's true. Because my people would never accept me like that. That's true. Mm, that's it was true. a big lesson. Wow. That's right. So I noticed you said branding as a lawyer, and I usually don't hear lawyers and or, or attorneys talking about that. And it made me think about the different areas of law. So the I see the like commercial with the with the different lawyers that be like on top of a truck. It's like, did you get in a wreck? Are you the one? So that's a certain what you. Do different lawyers not do commercials like that because they don't want to be seen in this type of way, or they're trying to get a different crowd? Is that is that a I thing? Think they call it ambulance chase. Ambulance chase. Okay. Right, right, right. You will never see me on top of the truck <laughs> <laughs> talking about the tough, smart. Right, right. Bring down a hammer. Like <laughs> no, you'll never see me doing that. Wow. And, and, and I, I, again, I don't think that would work for me anyway mm. because of the expectations. Of, of our people. Our right. people expect for us to be a cut above. As Dr. Elijah Muhammad taught us to present ourselves in the best manner that's true. to our people. And and that's a fact. That's very true. Right. So we, we have to bear in mind, you know, what works for us and what would distinguish us, you know, in, in branding ourselves. So we, we're very cognizant of trying to put our best foot forward. And we found that uh, our people respond to that better. That's true. And... Uh, when I was thinking about the show, I was thinking about some of the criticisms we get when we are a black in business. Right. You know, um, inventory was another thing. You know, we we you know we out of it. I want this, but you out of stock. Mm -hmm. So having the inventory necessary to do business, and if you don't have the inventory in, is it'll be coming in next week. You know, you get a rain check. You want to communicate. You may give them a coupon. Mm -hmm. Or something. You want to use customer services closely associated with what I'm talking about in professional imaging. You want to make it good. 
even if your inventory is low, because how you gonna how you gonna build your inventory unless you build your customer and your mm-hmm. sales? Your sales gonna cause you to build your inventory. Right. So, looking at some of the criticisms is that you know we second best, but oftentimes we have to be better than the competition. Right. You know, so I don't think we're second best. We are. We're above the rest. Right. And we have to project that because uh, people uh, judge, you know, you shouldn't judge a book by its cover, but most of us do. Most of us do. We're going to judge you by your appearance. And if you're black, that that, that scrutiny going to be at a higher level. Right. right. But some of the other things, uh, social media is another area that we got to consider since we or in business now, uh, the internet space is a big area that we have to be in. And then again, we want to maintain that professionalism in social media. Mm. You know, you you have any comment on that? No, yes, absolutely. Uh, I was wondering, did Brother Warren, you, I see you're on your Facebook Live right now. Do you, how do you <laughs> conduct yourself on social media? I, I have been, uh, they had to drag me into the internet and the social media space, kicking and screaming. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I, I am convinced that is the way to go, and it's something in in our law firm, it's a high priority, and we are, we are working right now to uh, further develop and enhance our tools on social media because it works. We're in a new That's age right. now. Mm-hmm. We're in a new day, and it's a tremendous, it's a tremendous vehicle. It's something right. that just wasn't available when I first started practicing law. Lawyers weren't even allowed to advertise. That's true. We had to build our business solely through reputation and speaking engagements and and letting your work product be your advertising. So when when advertising came in, you know, I, I was slow to respond, honestly. You know, and in some areas, I got left behind too. Yeah. <laughs> you know? mm. Uh, because young lawyers, you know, of uh, other generation came in and started putting together an advertising budget, and they started getting a lot of business, you know. Wow. So it, the, the social media is just a tremendous opportunity to reach people, communicate with people, do just what we're doing now, talk to people. They can see you, t- you know, reach out and feel you and touch you and, and get a sense of you. It, it's, uh, I look back on it. I should have started much earlier. No. But uh, we're working at it now. We, we, we right, right. Well, one thing that I, I wanted to interject about the social media, we need to be on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And if you're a business, uh, you can have a business page. Right. But when I go to your page, I should see your business ads. I should see something about your product or your service. Mm-hmm. You know, this where we're talking about maintaining the professionalism. All of the personal stuff or the trivial stuff shouldn't be conducted on, on your business page. You know, and a lot of times when we're black, we're kind of ashamed to be in business or we are, we're ashamed to sell. Mm-hmm. So I go on the Business Building Blocks page and I ask if you're a black business person, post an ad. Mm-hmm. So that we're in the audience, we own this, uh, those in the conscious community, the Muslim community, are uh, those uh, people that are aware that we need to patronize black businesses in order to circulate that dollar and create economic growth. Right. So we want to buy from black. We want to buy black. But if we don't see your ad, you know, and we all we all walking around with a cell phone, we on electronic device, we plugged in. So we we are in that space. Mm-hmm. 
and we 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 looking for those ads. If you're in business, let's see your ad. Let, tell me something about your product, your service, and how could I uh, obtain it? How could I purchase it? Another thing, a website. Set up a website, and also have an option so that we can be able to purchase. Right. Uh, be uh, sophisticated enough to, that I can purchase with credit, credit card, right. a debit card, or PayPal, uh, some type of online uh, transaction mm -hmm. option. Mm -hmm. you, you just can't accept cash in this day and time when everything is went uh, electronic. Right. So uh, you think it's time to do some sponsors? Absolutely. So Pay some bills. <laughs> we wanted to highlight a couple companies who support the business building blocks podcast. The first one we would like to highlight is Nations Products. Nations Products, they are literacy advocates. They provide different mediums of literature and books and different things that you can fill your library with, either at home or if you have a charter school or something like that. They have all types of books. We, he have one, you're holding one like right here, John, Brother John Muhammad. Yeah. We got the Word Search book, Famous Blacks in America. You solve that, the children find out different facts about each uh, of the different characters in that book. They are a part of our history, and it's very important. That's true. I just want to make a note. Go ahead. Wazir uh, designed this cover. Oh, I did. <laughs> yeah, I did. I mean, uh, one of the great talents of Wazir. Uh, but uh, all our uh, figures, uh, a lot of our figures are represented in this word search book. Marcus Garvey, the most honorable Elijah Muhammad, Booker T. Washington, mm. even uh, Barack Obama. And, uh, and again, we believe that as the children solve the puzzle and they learn about each figure, that builds their self-esteem. Mm. Because now they see themselves and their ancestors they see themselves through their ancestors and the accomplishments of uh, someone like them that look like them. And so that that builds their self-esteem. So that's what we uh, want to do. Uh, black literature, black authors, we want to promote them. We also want to highlight Grimes. Shout out to Grimes Printing, 1956. They are the ones who actually printed our T-shirts, our Business Building Blocks T-shirts. Uh, you can follow them on Instagram at Grimes1956. And, uh, yeah, contact them. Grimes, he actually has his own clothing brand. I sound like him, somebody's watching right now. He has his own clothing brand on, and, uh, what he does is each month he releases a different product and gives back to the community with each product. Huh, so in February, he did a, a, a hat that was like a blackout hat. And basically what he did was gave back, gave a scholarship. He did another hat in uh, October where he gave back to breast cancer. So y'all check out for him. Every product he releases, he's giving back to our community. So check that out uh, immediately. We were like... <laughs> you got time for um, public, public service? service announcement. Go ahead. We would like to... I like to always mention... The Final Call newspaper. Uh, during this time of fake news, alternative facts, right. you know, uh, straight up deceptive intelligence, um, we need information, factual, actual factual information that we can depend on. You can find that factual news that you can trust and also news reflecting the black community. Because off time in the media, they don't have time to cover our news or our events unless it's negative. Right. And then we're demonized. Even if we the victim, 
you know, the unjust shooting. The police shot him. The guy was unarmed. Right. So they start going through the victim's criminal record. <laughs> right. Instead of looking at that <laughs> yeah, perpetrator. Ten years ago, you know. Right. So uh, check out the Final Call newspaper, finalcall.com. That's the finalcall.com. Did you want to go into deeper about his book at this point? I think we need to talk to uh, to him about who he is. All right. And, uh, then we'll go into his latest publication. So, can you please give us an overview of your journey as an attorney, how you became? First of all, let's start off. How did you become an attorney, and what made you even want to become one? I was. I just had this conversation earlier this morning with uh, my youngest son Elijah about this very thing. Right. Um, I'm. I'm a native. Uh, Houstonian, but I love to say I'm a native of Acres Homes. That's right. Because Acres Homes was it wasn't part of Houston. Okay. When I was born and, and at first coming up, so I was born and raised in Acres Homes. It's called the Four Four now. Okay. And, and it's a uh, predominantly black neighborhood on the northwest side of of Houston. My uh, parents are from Acres Homes. My grandparents. Uh, uh, our uh, our family has been there since shortly after World War One. Wow. Okay. So we we have deep deep roots in that community, and I still live there today. I'm still in the hood. That's right. And my mother's still there. My sister, my cousin, we. So I I, I love the community. That's great. So I was born there. I went to the local high school at M C Williams. It was a junior senior high, and I was telling my son, uh, I, I I grew up. Just around common people. You know, okay. my mother and father operated a cafe, worked for themselves. My mm-hmm. grandmother operated a, a food place. They called them soul food places. Right. Now, it was just a restaurant. <laughs> my grandfather had a store. And in Acres right. Home, the majority of people had small businesses. Right. A tire shop, an ice house, you know. So this must have been during the, the end of segregation. Yes, Okay. Yes. I was born in 1953, so I still remember uh, going to certain parts, stores in certain parts of town where they wouldn't let me sit at the counter. Okay. I never forget white. I sat at a a counter while my mother was shopping. The white man told me, stand up, stand back, because he didn't want me sitting at his counter. Right. I still remember that. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) And we used to catch the bus and go downtown to the Lincoln Theater. Right. Because that was the only theater that blacks could go to. Man. We couldn't go to the Metropolitan or the... You know, whatever else was downtown, but we had to all go to the Lincoln Theater. <laughs> that, that reminds me of Emancipation Park because we talked to my, my, my wife's mother, and she said that Emancipation Park that was bought by ex-slaves, that, that park, right. that that was the only park that blacks can go to in Houston during segregation. Right. And that's the park that they bought and they established. Exactly. And so I, I look at that as a lesson for today and, and listening to you mm-hmm. and all the things that we were able to accomplish during segregation. Exactly. And now under integration, we lost most of that. We have less. In, in Acres Home, we had our own park. Uh, at, we called it, it was DeSoto Park. And every Juneteenth, everybody came out, even people people at work took off work, didn't ask nobody's permission. And we had a big Big picnic. We had our own baseball league, and we right. had baseball tournaments and true. barbecue and everything. It was just a wonderful time. So I, that's part of the reason I cherish my my upbringing in Acres Home because I learned from a child uh, independence and self sufficiency in the community. It's not like that today, but right. but that's the childhood that I had. 
That's great. And, and in many ways, it prepared me for what I eventually came into in the in the Nation of Islam and the teachings of the Most Honorable Elijah Muhammad. When I heard those teachings, it clicked with me. Right. Just it's like this is a no-brainer. This, right. You know, it's, it's what I saw as a child. You know? mm. So anyway, I I, uh, I remember there was a uh, career day at our school. And one of the people, I was, like I told myself, I was in the back of the auditorium with my buddies cutting up and right. not paying attention to anything. But I just remember somebody said they were a lawyer. And I really didn't even know what a lawyer was. Just, mm-hmm. it was something I'd never heard before. Right. And it stuck in my mind, you know. And several years later, I started really considering, what do I want to do in life? And this word was in my brain. Right. Lawyer. So I said, well, let me look up and see what a lawyer does, you know. And I was <laughs> I was a junior. I was 17 years old. Right. I had read the uh, uh, autobiography of Malcolm X. I was becoming conscious and, you know, and aware. And that's when, I, after doing the research, I determined right then I want to be a lawyer because I wanted to work for myself. I wanted to work with and among and to hopefully help our people. Right. And I wanted to be independent and self-sufficient. And I said, well, lawyer checks off on each one of these. So that's what wow. I want to be. <laughs> that's great. And, and and we need we need black lawyers. You know, we need someone that's going to be our advocate, uh, especially in this day and time where we're oftentimes the victim. Right. So uh, we need someone that's going to truly be in our corner and someone that's going to advocate for us. Right. That we, that we can trust and we can depend on. But uh, you ready to get into a case for separation? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, what is the uh, purpose or the basis for a case for separation? Uh, where where you get that idea from? Right, right. Well, I, I've always, I've been practicing law since 1979. Okay. And as I say, I, I decided it was what I wanted to do and gained a passion for it. At an early age, at 17. So, I, you know, even though I was doing other things, I thought about architecture and, of course, football. I wanted to be an NFL player and all okay. typical, you know, <laughs> right, fantasies yeah. we all have. Mm-hmm. But being a lawyer was always there for me. Okay. And then uh, as I studied the teachings of the Elijah Muhammad, I fell in love with the teachings and saw them as the truth. And I saw myself as an advocate. Okay. Because that's what I do for my clients. As you say, I'm, I'm an advocate right. for people who don't have a voice, yes. people who have been victimized or right. been accused or, you know, been been wronged or, you know, mistreated in some way. So I, I've practiced being an advocate, and then I, I just started to develop that advocacy for what we believe and what we stand for. Is Could you, I don't know if it's, just uh, privacy issues, but could you name some of the high-profile cases that you have uh, handled? Um, there have been some. Uh, there okay. have been some. Like I said, I did a lot of work in the entertainment industry. Okay. I represented uh, two members of Destiny's Child. All right. Uh, when, when that group broke up. That's true. And uh, we litigated against uh, Beyonce and her father, Matthew Knowles, yeah. and, and Music World Entertainment, Sony Records. Uh, I've litigated against the likes of uh, BET, Viacom, mm. Radio One, uh, Sony, right. Universal. So I was an advocate for entertainers and artists and people that uh, 
had legal issues, uh, you know, okay. with with the majors, with, with Man, the big that's, boys. Man, that's, that's know, a major so. accomplishment <laughs> in the industry. And, and you have represented some artists also, right? Yes. All right. Yes, I have. I, I was uh, general counsel for uh, Rap-A-Lot Records okay. and personal attorney to James Prince on a number of, of, of issues. And uh, probably the majority of the early uh, rap artists and rap labels back in the in the uh, I guess the late eighties okay. and nineties. I was the guy behind the scenes helping to form those record labels. Okay. So I, I formed a record label that launched the career of uh, Lil Kiki, mm-hmm. people like that. Right. Uh, DJ Screw, right? Mm. Uh, Pimp C and Bomb B, right? Even yeah. now, okay. <laughs> Man, you know, that's so, pretty legendary. Yeah, so I was I was the guy behind the scene doing the paperwork, putting together the company, putting together the label, doing that Man. kind of work. So you definitely qualified. You definitely qualified to speak on this subject, right? And also that unique experience of growing up during that era right. of segregation, and also being in the Deep South, right? Um, you definitely got a wealth of experience. So let's let's get into it. A case for Separation. Okay, uh, this is the book, A Case for Separation. And it's a compilation of lectures. Okay. Uh, and I want to, I always want to publicly thank our student minister, Robert Muhammad, here at Moss 45, mm-hmm. and uh, his assistant, uh, Brother Eric, because right. they allowed me the opportunity to uh, take the Rospin on Sundays, uh, you know, here and there, you know, okay. I wasn't in a rotation. I'm not a minister or a preacher or anything okay. like that. But from time to time, I would, would let Brother Robin know that I had done some research and, and put together some things that I thought might be of value to uh, to the believing community. And he would let me give the lecture. Okay. And over time, I did, you know, a number of lectures. Right. So I started thinking about this separation okay. as a conversation. Right. Because when we look at the condition of our people, uh, we, we, it's, it's, especially with social media now, people are becoming aware of the disparity of treatment, the disparity right. in the jury verdicts where, you know, people are killing our, our people on the streets and the jury is, is, is letting them go, you right. know, uh, and, and other kind of, of disparate treatment. But all of the conversation centers around what I would say, finding a compromise or an accommodation with white supremacy. Right. And no one is entertaining this conversation about separation. Right. And Ambalaj Muhammad said that separation is the best and only solution to the condition and the treatment of our people here in America. So I wanted to do something to hopefully stimulate the conversation. Well, let let me ask you a question. You know, there are some organizations that, advance the reparations, the reparations movement. Right. Uh, even Marcus Garvey had the Back to Africa movement. So when you say separation, do you mean uh, reparations or do you mean that we should go back to Africa? No, the Ambalaja Muhammad um, position is is neither of those, although it may uh, entail some of those. Okay. We do believe that we're entitled to reparations. And we are free to exercise the option of going to Africa if we choose. Right. That's a choice, though. Okay. No one can tell us that's where you belong and that's where you need to go. Right. Because some, some people are asking us to go back. Right. A lot of people that follow the, the, uh, the conservative right. movement right now 
uh, they saying, well, y'all just go back to Africa. Right. If you don't like it here in America, you know, leave. Yeah. But they leave out the 400 plus years of free labor. <laughs> right. They got buyer's remorse or right. kid, kidnapper's remorse. Kidnapping, <laughs> like right, right. <laughs> and, and I would say to them, okay, we'll leave if you leave. You came from somewhere else, That's too. True. You know, <laughs> let's mm. just leave it all to the Indians. And you go back where you came from. That's true. You know, and we cover that in the book. Okay. So this book is a compilation of six lectures that I selected that that all uh, centered on the theme of discussing this concept of reparation. Okay. Not reparation, excuse me, of separation. All right. And the Ambalaj Muhammad talks about we are a nation within a nation. Okay. And that we deserve... We have a right to, and we should have, a part of this nation for our nation. Okay. So he talks about a separate nation. And so one of the things we talk about in the book is that this, in the first uh, chapter, which is a case for separation itself, we talk about this concept of separation that it's not anything new. Okay. It's not some foreign concept. It's been a concept that's been around for a while. Uh, there have been many countries that have separated from a, a, another country. Right. This country, America, United States, was founded on separation. That's true. Because they separated from Britain. Right. Right. The, so, the, the colonies were the colonies were part of Great Britain. Right. That was part of the empire. Exactly. So they had to fight a revolution in order to become independent. And it was based on let's separate. Right. And some of the people in the colonies. Uh, agreed with that concept. Some didn't want to have no part of it. Right. They, they openly sided with with the Britain. They said, we're all British citizens. And, a, and, a, and another group just sat on the sideline and said, we'll go <laughs> whichever way, <laughs> whoever wins, yeah. that's who we'll go with. You mm. know? Kind of sat on the sideline. But that was a movement of separation. Okay. And when we look at the concept of separation uh, of our people, black people here in America, uh, doing servitude, and, and, you know, the history that we've had, right. that was the American Colonization Society in the 1800s, right. which was based on separation of the races. That okay. we could, Abraham Lincoln, right. the That's so-called true. great emancipator, right. you know, was supportive of the, col- uh, the colonization movement because he felt like he didn't necessarily like slavery. He right. thought it was necessary. And he said that, that he would always prefer that his people be on top. That's true. And that we would never get along <laughs> together. Right. You know, this is the, the, the emancipator. It would always be a superior and inferior. Exactly. Exactly. That was, uh, that was a... Uh, and what, what, what really motivated me was how did we get to the only conversation being integration and assimilation into American society? Right. So I started doing research, historical research, to see when did this come about or did we always want to be, quote-unquote, Americans? Right. And if you think about it, when the, when the slave was on that plantation under the lash and the whip, he wanted freedom. That's true. When he ran away, he wanted to get as far away from white folks as he could. Right. He wasn't trying to become part of Massa's plan. Mm-hmm. But what I always say is that the integration in slavery itself was integration. Because we were separate in Africa and the Europeans was in Europe. We were separate. Mm-hmm. But when they brought us to the New World and we lived on that plantation, mm-hmm. that plantation was integrated. They just had to, they had superior. the superior 
uh, relationship, they lived in the house and we lived in the shack. Right. We worked the fields and they uh, was the overseer over us. But we lived together. Right. In this society, we were just a permanent underclass. Right. A couple of things we talk about in the book, uh, some great people that are commonly overlooked. Uh, for example, Henry, Henry Highland Garnett, right. who was a, 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 a Baptist preacher. And he, they had a big uh, convention, and he put forth the position of open rebellion and separation. Okay. And, of course, he had the opponents, uh, Frederick Douglass, some others wanted a more, you know, a different type of approach. Significant thing about him is that his platform, they had a vote on which platform the convention would adopt. His position lost by one vote. Oh, man. By one vote. So that told me that that was always a, a substantial amount of people, significant number of black people who wanted separation. Right. Who wanted to get away and do something for self, and right. then you had you had people like uh, uh, what's his name? It's, it's escaping me. Uh, I'll find it. It's uh, but one one of the things I wanted to mention during the time of slavery in the colonies, Florida was not a colony, and the Seminoles. We call them the black Indians. A lot of blacks had escaped right. from the plantation, and they joined up with the Seminole uh, Indians. Right. Until the Seminole Indians became black. Right. And they really had, uh, I think the uh, Spanish, it was a, uh, Florida was a Spanish colony. And uh, I think the Spanish lost that territory. Maybe they had a war, and they, they lost that territory. So the Seminoles, had a free, they was free, they were free settlement, right. blacks and Indians. Right. They ruled that area, and they they wore, they fought a protracted war uh, right before the Civil War, I believe. Mm -hmm. uh, and eventually, they were they were overcome. Exactly. But there was a black and Indian separate towns and villages right. in, in Florida. The the, uh, the person I was thinking was David Walker. Okay. okay. Who, who published Walker's Appeal. And you very seldom hear in Black History Month people talk about David Walker. Never heard of him. But you go back and <laughs> go back and read Walker's appeal. Right. And it is one of the most profound and revolutionary positions and statements that you could ever imagine. And it was published in uh, 1829. And he ended up getting killed. Well, I can imagine. You know, <laughs> but but he, he talked about and he looked at, at, at Haiti. Okay. And then the Haitian Revolution, Haitian Revolution really scared America to death. And it's part of the reason they have been adversarial to Haiti ever since. Right. But just the idea of slaves overthrowing their masters and setting up a government of their own terrified uh, America, South slaveholders and North. And, and David Walker talked about the relationship of Haiti and, and they were actually encouraging blacks, if you could get away, get to Haiti. Right. You know, and uh, so that's the point I'm trying to make. There's always been a strain or a strain of thought among our people based on the concept of independence. Right. I'm glad you brought up Haiti. Uh, an another state I want to talk about was uh, Liberia. Mm -hmm. A lot of the followers of uh, Marcus Garvey, some of them, they had the Back to Africa movement, where some of them was used to establish the, the nation of, of Liberia. Liberia. And they was a part of that movement. Of course, 
the movement, Marcus Garvin movement was broken. But those ideals went all over Africa. Right. And it led to a lot of uh, independence from co colonialization in Africa, mm -hmm. which brings to my mind uh, South Africa. I remember the South Africans say, well, the, the blacks can't govern themselves. You know, if you leave them yeah. to it, and if you look at Haiti, it looks like Haiti is not prospering. Mm -hmm. And is that is that because they black? Or can we not rule uh, like they say in South Africa? And I think right. it's another leader right now, uh, Julius Malema, uh, that's uh, leading uh, uh, economic freedom fighters mm -hmm. in South Africa so that the blacks can retain the land and the, the wealth. Land. Right. Uh, I think uh, President Mugabe in uh, in Africa, Zimbabwe, Zimbabwe, yeah. Right. Uh, so blacks may have the political power, but they may not own the land, so they're not totally free economically. Right. And and that brings me to uh, there's one other thing I wanted to say on the separation part, which is the first chapter, and I'm going to get to the, to the economics um, concerning this this idea and this concept of integration. I, I asked myself, well, where did this concept come in? How did it take hold? Because it's really all that is talked about now. Okay. And in 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 my research, I I, I found that the Gunnar Myrdal, Myrdal, produced this work. Uh, on race relations in America. And it was his work, the Carnegie uh, Institute, Carnegie Foundation hired him to do a study on the races because they were, were funding colleges, you know, doing a lot of social work. So they wanted to look at the race. And it was Murdoch's work that came up with the idea that the best way for blacks to exist in America was to be fully integrated into American society. Mm. He, he recommended that we limit our population growth, that we not have separate organizations and, 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 and organi you know, organizations to address our specific needs that we needed to fully integrate into American society. And after Murdoch produced this study, then Carnegie, uh, they put a freeze on funding to colleges right. and to black colleges. They, they would fund black colleges. They put a freeze on their funding until after the study. And then once the study was done, they resumed funding to colleges and to black colleges. But now there was a teaching and a concept right. that came in with the funding. Right. And if you notice, a lot of the uh, Negro leaders or civil rights leaders came from these, from the Morehouses and, you know, these different black institutions. And now this is what they were being taught right. as social policy. Right. You see, so, you know, that was, a, and that's what I was trying to find is how did this come in? So that became the conversation. And, and I know in the black mm. community, you know, we, we all familiar with go to school, get an education, and get a good job, get a mm -hmm. career. Mm -hmm. And that's the conversation. And that's a traditional conversation. Mm -hmm. You know, keep your nose clean, stay out of trouble, stay in school. Right. And and, and that that's how we're going to make it as a race Education is the key, but education that leads to a job or a career. Right. Mm. And if you go to Murdoch's study, you'll find all of that contained in his study on social policy uh, as it pertains okay. to black people in America. You'll find it all right. It's like a laid out a blueprint of how to incorporate us. What, do you know what got him to that conclusion? Like, what was his incentive? Like, what got him to that conclusion that we should integrate? 
as opposed to separating? Well, he was a sociologist. He was a white sociologist. He was Swedish, mm-hmm. uh, a sociologist from Sweden. And uh, Carnegie uh, gave him a lot of money. This is around 1935. Uh, uh, it was called uh, the American, An American Dilemma. And it was published in 1944. Right. You know, and it was through his, his study looking at the, uh, it, in a lot of ways it was very critical of white society and how they treated blacks. Mm-hmm. But he was looking at whites being the dominant society and he didn't see any other sol- solution because, of course, he didn't consider separation. Right. So he well, said the only way you can ever, you can successfully survive then is going to be incorporate yourself into this American dream. Well, if if you look at it, what makes us valuable to them, the rich, or the rich whites, is our labor and our consumerism. Right. Okay, when we were slaves, they provided us food, clothing, shelter. Mm-hmm. But the after slavery, we had the industrialization and, and we became workers. Low wages, however. Right. That continuously in debt. But our we have purchasing power, and we have labor, uh, our labor, uh, even our intellectual power. If we're working for them, right, they take credit for all our inventions. Right, they benefit economically, right, because it's their company that's manufacturing, that's selling, that's doing the business, that own the business. We may have the ideals, we may have the talent, but they own the team. That's right. So, what makes us valuable to them is integration. Right. Right. Separation, no, we, we're going to buy from each other, mm-hmm. and we're going to own the shop. Right. So that means they, they cut out they the cut equation. Out. <laughs> and that's mm. why uh, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad teaches us, it's on the back page of the final call, that integration was a hypocritical trick that's right. of theirs. It wasn't designed for our benefit. It mm. never was designed for our benefit. It was a hypocritical trick of theirs, of our 400-year-old enemy and slave master. Mm-hmm. You no, know, and I, I don't have it memorized, but uh, he, he talks about how it keeps us from realizing that it's our time for you know for our rise and our nation. So, going back to the discussion of of Haiti, yes, there's a, a, a chapter in the book which is titled um, "The Burden of Debt," okay, and it's really one of my favorite chapters in the book because we we did a very exhaustive analysis of of money, okay, and and economic structure mm-hmm. and currency. Right. And and what I found was that you really can tie the American foreign policy to currency. Right. And if you look at and and, and we talk about the, the rise of the uh, the banks and you've heard, right. you heard the minister talk about the Rothschilds right. and the Rockefellers. The central banks. Right, the central banks. And all, all over the world. Right. So we looked at the rise of, of money and how this developed in this chapter and the rise of the of the banks and how the banks, you know, controlled the the political fortunes and and, and the foreign policies of all of the countries. Right. The banks really sit on top of the the government. Right. and dictate policy, and also the Federal Reserve and how they right. just can create money out of thin air. Right, they print the money. They the print pay, the money. The paper money, however. Right, but then they circulated, they loaned it to the government, and that's why when they founded the Federal Reserve, they also founded the IRS because they had to be able to take that money out of the pocket of the people right. to pay back the bankers. Right. You know, so it's not just a black thing. They robbing the whole society. Right. 
mm. of this fictitious paper money. Right. But but uh, you look at talking about Haiti. When Haiti won its independence, France imposed reparations on Haiti. Right. <laughs> saying, you got to pay us now for the loss of our slaves. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Yes. To the tune of millions of dollars. They, have, they actually paid it? They have been paying them. Right. Oh, my goodness. Ever since they gained their independence. And had they not agreed to pay France, the United States and Britain were prepared to declare war on Haiti. Mm. So basically, Haiti is still under sanctions since they got the independence. They have always been under economic sanctions, right. which they could never take the produce of their country, you know, and their gross national product and spend it for their own people because they had to pay back these reparations. I mean, think how crazy that is. I got to pay right. you back for me be getting my freedom from your slavery. That's insane. But they imposed that. That's what. They, so but we I, talk about that in the book. Whoa. But I think, I think that, also, that that phenomenon also is happening throughout Africa with the previous uh, colonial, masters. colonial masters. Right. Those African nations are paying reparations back to France and Come on Britain and others for 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 them getting their independence. This is, this is almost like a joke or something. <laughs> why? But why do they look at us like we so crazy? It, when when actual slaves look for reparations, they look right. they look at us like we're like out of our minds, like right. that's not even a concept in the world. Right. But they are making them pay. They, I don't understand that. <laughs> so what does everybody think about it? Everybody just like we're okay, or that's, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> we need to have this conversation. Yeah. We got to get this conversation. I don't think people know that, and, and that's why, brother Wazi, I'm I'm so happy to, to talk with you and your show and your generation, right? Because I know you're not getting it in school. No. And in your social circles, you're not getting it. But right. it, we need to stimulate this conversation. Right. Brother John, you mentioned Zimbabwe. Right. Robert Mugabe is, is, is pushing white farmers off their land to return that land back to the people of Zimbabwe. Right. right. And you're talking about white people that will have farms as far as the eye can see, right. 30,000 acres and stuff like this. Right. You know, you know what, I, what I like to interject is that we think that Africa is starving. But we always talking about white farmers right. in Africa that's feeding Europe and India and right. China. I mean, the, the Chinese, the Indians are there. The Russians uh, have interests because that's where all of the major uh, resources are. Right. Africa is the most mineral-rich, resource-rich continent. Right. You know, in whether it's all uh, diamonds or... Uh, uh, whatever resource you need for your, for your economy or your military right. or your computer. Your cell phone. Cell phone, right. 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 Don't so, they mine the metal from Africa that, yeah. that's in every almost all the electronics we use? Right. right. So, so, when, so when we look at, 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 as you alluded to, Brother John, you say they, they will make you think that the people in Zimbabwe are not smart enough to manage their own country. Right. Right. But Zimbabwe is the victim of a currency war. Right. If you look up Zimbabwe currency, it has no value at all. They went through a period of, and I just really came across this, even though I did the, the lecture some years ago, uh, it, it, it's still relevant because right. I talked about currency wars. And as a consequence of Mugabe taking this position that he's taken, he's, his country has been subjected to these currency wars with, where they devalue, they force the devaluation of the Zimbabwean currency, so they went into what's called hyperinflation. Right. And 
if you go, you can internet the Zimbabwe currency, you'll see that they got to the point where they were printing bank notes, government bank notes in Zimbabwe of of $10 billion. One note. One <laughs> a $10 billion note. A $10 billion note. And they couldn't hardly buy a loaf of bread with it. At that point, it's almost arbitrary. Ten billion, might as well just write one dollar. I don't understand. What are we doing? Exactly. A gazillion dollars. Like, what yeah. are we doing? And and if you're finding history, Germany went through the same thing. Oh, I didn't after know that. World War One. That's what led to World War Two. That's what led to World War Two and the rise of Hitler right. was because of the hyperinflation that Germany went through because they were being victimized through currency trade. The Germans went through the same thing. They would they would. Uh, print money in the morning, and it had no value by evening. People were rolling around with wheelbarrows full of German marks that just had no value. And that led to the rise of Hitler, because Hitler said that we are, we've we've negotiated a peace, but there's war still being raged on us. And that's when he came, as you see now, this Make America Great Again. Trump, I mean, uh, Hitler came here with Make Germany Great Again. Right. And German nationalism. And that's why the German people accepted him was because their whole economic system had been destroyed. So if you follow the currency, you follow the money, you'll see the cause and the root of war. In in, in the Sudan, one of the things we talk about in the book, in the Sudan, when the, the southern Sudan separated from Sudan and right. created the country of South Sudan, right. the first thing they did was they established a central bank. Right. I, and, think, I think the same thing they did in Libya. Yeah. And 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 you probably can touch on the importance of of Gaddafi and the African uh, Union, mm -hmm. establishment of the African Union, and how he wanted to use gold, right, uh, as a new currency. And that's why they killed him. They right. destabilized him because had he been successful in launching the gold denier, uh, backed by gold, which he had tons of it, right. the the dollar would have been destabilized. Mm. And it had nothing to do with Libya killing its own people. Every government kills its own people. They're executing somebody in Austin every weekend. Right. The state is. That's right. Every government kills That's us. why you have a military. <laughs> That's why you have police. Right. But we running out of time. I do want the audience to know and to learn how to get your book. How, how could they get Wait, the book? Well, before we do that, I wanted to know what's the, what is the hardest, um, I guess, why don't why isn't it easier to convince our people of separation? Well, nobody allows that conversation to have space. They portray Minister Farrakhan as an anti-Semite and a racist. Right. You know, and they they slander the nation of Islam with, right. you know, you kill Malcolm, you did all these different diversions from actually looking at the program and the teaching. Mm. So the conversation never gets started. And that was that was really my motivation in putting the book out was hopefully to let's get at least get the conversation started. Right, right. And I would like to inject the that brings my to mind the secret relationship between blacks and Jews. That also was a secret. Right. The role that that the Jews played in slavery. Right. And how they financed the slave trade. And they have always focused on the white Christian. Right. But uh, that book, I uh, think, uh, through the Nation of Islam, the research team, right. uh, put that uh, 
book all over the country and in universities and that type of thing. Mm -hmm. So, um, are you? Do you have ideas on how you're gonna uh, use your your book uh, sort of get into those intellectual circles and maybe the po political circles that maybe you can do some other talk shows and see? We are independent black media. Mm -hmm. You know, like uh, we have to tell our own story. Right. If you want to start the conversation, we have to start it. And, then, and so in black media, we have to carry it, that topic. Right. And we have to use by all our means, uh, social media and our platforms to promote these kind of ideas that's going to benefit us. Right. I, I, I would appreciate the opportunity for mainstream media, but I don't expect that to happen because right. they, are, they are vested in integration. Mm, right. right, we got to take this to the people. That's why I really appreciate the opportunity to come on 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 your absolutely. Your we thank show. you for coming on. You know, thank and you. and, yeah. and, and I, I'd like to if you have access to a group of college students or a, a group of people just out in the neighborhood. Right. You know, I'd like to meet with 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 anyone that I can, you know, any group of people that I can to to talk about this and and you know get well, this well, conversation. Well, how could they reach you back again? We run out of time. We we oh. need they need to know how they can contact you, right. where they can find you, um, how could they purchase the book? I mean, that's right. that's the bottom line. We bottom need to be able to get that information. Book. Right. Okay, the website is clearandconvincingevidence.com. Okay. Okay, because hopefully we're going to continue to publish other works, you know, on, on relevant topics. And okay. being an attorney and an advocate, it's all about the evidence. We're trying to prove whatever we say. Okay. So the website is clearandconvincingevidence.com. We're on the Facebook page is A Case for Separation. Okay. And you can just go on Facebook and put in A Case for Separation. It should pull up the Facebook page. Okay. And you can buy from the Facebook page. We have it linked to Amazon. The book is available through Amazon. Okay. So you can go on Amazon.com and put in or Warren F. Muhammad, or a case for separation is going to come up. It can be purchased through Amazon. We're working on being able to sell it as an e-book on the face page, uh, okay. on the website. Okay. Uh, it's a Kindle also on Amazon.com. So okay. we're trying to hit as many avenues, Facebook, website, Amazon.com. And if you, you, you bump into me, I always got a copy. Oh, that's All fantastic. Right. That's fantastic. <laughs> and also, we want to say that you can uh, also find the business building blocks on Facebook. Uh, we are a podcast, so you can find us on SoundCloud.com. And if you have an iPhone, you have the iPhone, the, sound, the podcast app, I'm sorry, the podcast app on iPhones. It's the purple app. You'll see it on the first page of your apps. It says podcast. You, you already have it. You don't have to download it. Right, and, and, also, we need, and, and we need to talk. I like to see if we can link up, you know, to make it uh, available. Right, we, uh, maybe Nation Products can carry. Absolutely, and, and also um, YouTube. We have an, uh, a large, uh, large and growing YouTube audience mm -hmm. and Facebook uh, audience. What's about now? So let's and, and let's share. Let's like the fake Facebook page and share, and let's get this information out. Let's get it out. Well. Thank y'all for listening. This is the Business Building Blocks Podcast. We want to thank Brother Warren Fitzgerald thank Muhammad you. for coming on and dropping all those jewels. I know y'all heard a lot of stuff y'all never heard before, so go get that book. Thank y'all for listening. We'll be back next week. Thank y'all. See you next week. Thank you.